Okay. I'm getting an echo back from this. If this is working, we'll go with it. Thanks. Thanks, Lucan. All right, please take your copy of the Word of God and let us turn to Matthew 19. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 26, Matthew 19, 16 to 26 today. I'm using the New American Standard. If your Bible's a little bit different, uh, that'll be okay. We'll, we'll still be all right. Now, I know you're in that place. I'm going to run to another place here for a minute. You don't have to go there. I'll just read it to you when I, uh, when I get to that point. Um, I don't know if you're paying attention uh, to certain things that are happening in the world, but one of the things that's happening, and it's always been true, it has always been true that Satan has attacked the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's always been true that he's perverted the gospel of Jesus Christ because he doesn't want people to get saved. And so you hear all kinds of junk about how you go to heaven and things that aren't true, and a lot of it is demonically inspired uh, straight from the pits of uh, Gehenna. In Galatians 1.8, Paul uh, is chastising the Galatians, and he says this, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary, meaning different, to what we have preached to you, let him be accursed, which is a nice way to say let him end up in the fires of hell. We are in a situation where today it's no less uh, evil, it's no less an attack of the enemy against the gospel with what's being said about the gospel in churches all over the place. Some, some churches have gone woke, and there's a woke gospel. Some are BLM gospels. Some are social gospels, and on and on it goes. Uh, we want to talk today, because Jesus brings it up, about what is the true gospel. So for those who are interested, uh, the question is this. What good things must a person do in order to obtain eternal life? What good things must you do in order to obtain eternal life? Now, I hope when I say that, that doesn't set well with you, because that's not the question. Uh, but it's the question that this uh, rich young ruler is going to ask Jesus today, uh, and it's the wrong question. The question has, however, been asked by multitudes of people. I've been fortunate enough uh, that God sometimes sends somebody right to my office, and they say, you know what? Uh, I heard this the other day, I heard you say this, and I would like to become a Christian. How do I do that? And it's just wonderful to be able to open the Bible and show them how you can become a Christian. So this question has been asked by multitudes. How can I get into heaven? How can I be saved? And the Bible teaches that eternity has been placed in their hearts, but the answer to how you get to heaven has not been placed there. If you want to find that out, you have to go to this book. This book outlines it for you and tells you how. We have uh, two kinds of revelation in the world. One's general revelation. That's uh, the creation and everything out there that tells us there is a God and that he is a loving God. But you can't get saved just by observing uh, special, uh, general revelation. You need special revelation. You need this book where God has spoken to us and he's told us very clearly in the Bible how we can be saved. So for the answer, we go to the Bible. And though the Bible is very clear that good works don't help one attain eternal life, in fact, good works have nothing to do with obtaining uh, eternal life, uh, but that's the first question that people want to ask. Where do they get the idea? Where do they get that idea that you get to heaven by being good? Well, it may be because the Bible uses the word good, I'm talking about Old and New Testament, 669 times. God is interested in thus being good. God wants us to be good. 
But God doesn't want us to be good to get into heaven. That's a lie from hell, not from heaven. God wants us to get into heaven in a different way. But it's the question this young man asks Jesus, and so we want to deal with it. But the Bible does talk about being good. It does, and God wants us to be good for sure. But being good is not how you get into heaven. That's the whole point. That is not the path to salvation. It is the path of discipleship, not salvation. Salvation produces discipleship. Discipleship does not produce salvation. Sanctification does not produce salvation. You must be saved first. So what is the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? This is something we want to share with people all the time so they can know the way. Well, we find ourselves in our study of the book of Matthew in chapter 19. And we just talked last week about the disciples not allowing the little children to come to Jesus. And he said, no, you guys get out of the way. Let the children come because of such are the kingdom of heaven. So Matthew follows that up with a question about, well, how does a person get into the kingdom of heaven? So it says in Matthew 20, starting in verse 16, And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now bear with me. You're looking for Jesus to say something like, well, you need to have faith in me for your salvation. We're going to get there. But Jesus is dealing with a question that was asked him. What must I do to get in there? And it has something to do with being good. And Jesus says, keep the commandments. So then he said to him, which ones? Which should strike us as a very very, uh, funny question. And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now you'll recognize that uh, those those all came out of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. One of them didn't, though. Love your neighbor as yourself. That came out of Leviticus. So he goes on to say, the young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? (laughs) Can you imagine standing in front of Jesus if you really knew who he was and telling him, I'm just really good, Lord, on everything you've told me to do. I've kept it all. That's, that's what kind of person I am. And Jesus knows it's not true. And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving. So he didn't leave as a disciple of Christ. He left as somebody who does not know Christ. And and the young man went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. That's why we call him the, the rich young ruler. And Jesus said to his disciples, after the guy left, he turns and talks to his disciples, Truly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You realize, of course, that without God and his miraculous power, salvation is not possible. 
but with God it is. And that's what we're going to learn today. So if you're following in your bulletin, uh, point number one, verse 16, is this. Jesus is the right one to go to in order to discover what is necessary for salvation. Who on earth could you possibly ask who has a better answer for what salvation is than Jesus Christ was? Because he certainly knows. Now, remember, this: at this point, Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet. He hasn't died and resurrected yet, so he's, uh, he's not got that. he doesn't have that to talk about at this point. But I want you to remember that Abraham was saved the same way you and I are saved, and that's by faith. It says in Genesis 15, 6, And Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him as righteousness. How did you get into heaven, or how are you going to get there? Because you somewhere heard the gospel of Christ, and you believed that Jesus was your Savior, and he forgave you of your sins. And so faith saves us in both testaments. Jesus handles the question at face value, however. He says, Lord, what must I do to be saved? What, what good things do I need to do? And this is the way he's going to reveal the truth about obtaining salvation. So watch for that as we get to it. A young man, and that word for young man in the Greek text can mean anybody from 20 to 40. So that's quite a spread. Since he's a synagogue ruler, a synagogue official, he's probably more in the 40 range, maybe a little bit more. And he was very wealthy, and he came to ask Jesus a question. And he had on his mind, do I really know what it takes to be saved? You know what? I'm sure if you have unsaved friends, they're asking the same question. And they're trying to figure that out. Why don't we just tell them how they should be saved and what the Bible says? I always start when I talk to somebody who doesn't know Christ. Uh, has anybody ever, I always say it this way, has anybody ever cared enough about you to take a Bible and show you what it says about how you can go to heaven when you die? I've never had anybody say, yeah, I, I've been told that. And I, then I say, well, would you mind if I share that with you? And so, so I do, and you can do the same thing. Uh, note that being wealthy was considered by the people of Jesus' day as a sign that a person had the favor of God on them. A poor person, they'd look at that and say, well, this person doesn't have the favor of God, but this wealthy person, and he's also a synagogue official, so he really has uh, the favor of God on him. But this man who has, you know, what, what other people would want, wants to know if he's doing everything he should be doing to get into heaven. And people have that question. They want to pull you aside and say, you know, uh, would you tell me whether I'm doing everything I'm supposed to to get into heaven? Or is there something that I'm missing? The subject is eternal life. And the question is, have I done what it takes to get it? And in this young man's uh, case, the answer is no, he has not. So look how Jesus handles this in verses 17 to 22. This is point number two. A true disciple has a heart of faith that forsakes worldly pursuits and follows Jesus. A true disciple is going to not treat the world and the world's things the way this man does, is the point. So in verse 17, uh, Jesus starts and said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? Okay. I'm sure he has an answer. Well, because you're a religious teacher, everybody considers you a rabbi, and I've heard you before. I kind of like the things you say. I don't know what the reason was, but he, he asked Jesus, and Jesus says, there's only one who is good, but if you wish to enter life, keep the commandments. Now, that sounds like Jesus is saying, do the works God told you to do, and if you're, if you're going to be able to keep the commandments, then you can go to heaven. But that's not really what he's going to say. So Jesus starts with a lesson on the word good. What does that really mean? The man is all about doing good things to obtain eternal life. He's already said that. Uh, the Lord said, you've got to keep these things. And God, he tells the, uh, God in the flesh, I, I've done all that. 
Do you think Jesus already knows what, what his life is all about, this young man? He sure, certainly does. And so he wants to know, what do I have to do? What good things do I have to do to obtain eternal life? And also, most of our population today uh, is going to posit the same question. They're in the same position. The majority of people that I get to talk to, and I'm sure uh, the majority for you as well, uh, when I get to talk to them about Christ and salvation, they are always focused on doing good and being good. So it goes well with them in judgment. They know there's a judgment coming. They want to know, how can I escape that judgment? And they are focused on, well, I've got to be good. Now, you might be a Christian that lives two quarters away from them in another farmhouse. And they've observed you and they watch you. Or you might be somebody that right down the street, you have somebody that's watching you. And they notice, well, they get up and they go to church all the time. They're pretty good people. But I know some things about them that nobody else knows. And uh, I think I'm every bit as good as they are. So they weigh themselves against you and think, hey, I probably have it made here. Doing good before one has a relationship with God, according to the Bible, is a gift of filthy rags to God. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. Well, are you going to stand someday before your judgment and say to God, I've got some old, old rags here I want to give you. Uh, is that good enough payment to get into heaven? And God's going to say, what? No, it's not. I don't accept filthy rags. The man should have known, this, this rich young ruler should have known, the only one who is truly good is God himself. You get that? The only one that's truly good is God himself. Why are you asking me about good? Now, why are you asking me about good? And he could point to any one of us and say, why are you asking about good? There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who is good. There is none who seeks after God. So because Jesus is also God, he himself is the only other one that is purely good, him and the Spirit, because they're three in one. God is the only one who is good, and the rest are sinners. Years and years ago, a psychiatrist by the name of Thomas Harris uh, posited this saying to make people feel good, and it goes, I'm okay, you're okay. And that was a big deal in psychology and psychiatry. I'm okay, you're okay. You need to understand, yeah, you're a sinner and all that stuff, so let's don't bring sin into it, but you're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay. Well, that's not the message of the Bible. God's message in the Bible is, God's okay, you're not okay. God can say, I'm okay, you're not okay. You need to get okay. And God can help us do that. So uh, Dr. Harris was wrong. If the man wanted to, wanted, to hear, wanted to enter eternal life, he needed to do the commandments of God. And the Bible is very clear. No one can perfectly keep the commandments of God. So if he was thinking about it, he would have to say, well, okay, I've kept these commandments, so I must be good. And Jesus said, why are you calling me good? There's only one who is good, and that's God. And, you, and he says, if you want to uh, enter in, keep all the commandments. Do you think Jesus forgot that you can't keep the commandments to get in? Of course he didn't. He's dealing with this man on the same level the man came to him. No one can, can get into heaven by keeping the rules. The reason Jesus came is because no one could keep the commandments except him. And he did. And he, he completed the law of God perfectly. So in verses 18 to 19, it is kind of a funny question. Jesus says, keep the commandments of God. And he goes, which ones? <laughs> which tells us he doesn't get it. Jesus said, keep the commandments of God. There, in, in your Bible, there should be a definite article there because that's what Jesus is saying, right? 
And he says, uh, which ones? He says, keep the commandments in verse 17 at the end. The commandments. He didn't say keep a, a few commandments or keep a couple commandments. He said keep the commandments. So it's not an arthrus, meaning any old commandment. It's, it's, de- it's definite. The commandments, the whole thing. How many commandments are there in, in the Old Testament law? Well, there's 613. That's a lot of commandments. And the kid says, well, I've, I've, I've kept the commandments. So Jesus lists some of those commandments out of the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. Commandment he uses is uh, Commandments 5 through 9, but he starts and and puts Commandment 5 last. And then he adds to it a command from Leviticus 19.18, which is a summary of all the commands. And so Jesus said to him as we look at the text, Well, uh, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness to anybody. You shall love your father and your mother, honor them, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, uh, where do you get that? I want you to notice that if you go to Leviticus 19, and you go to verse uh, 18, it says, You shall not take vengeance, nor shall you bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So we can find the Ten Commandments in two places in the Old Testament. We can find them in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Is that right? 5 or 10? 5. I think it's 5. If not, it's 10. Uh, It's 5. Anyway, uh, that's the only two places. And Jesus says, keep the commandments. So he goes to Leviticus. The commandments are not listed there except other commands. And he adds one of those. And Jesus, when he was asked, what's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. In this, all the law and the prophets have been summarized. So he's saying to this young man, you keep them all. And so the young man is listening to that, and he says to him in verse 20, all these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? All these things I have kept. Well, Jesus knows him. He knows that he has not kept all these things. And so uh, he moves on. It turns out that he's looking for a list to see if he measures up. And I want you to know if you look around to unsaved people, they are watching and they think you get to heaven by being good. They all have a list. And on that list, they're going to take that list, they're going to check off, okay, a good person, uh, you know, uh, a good person keeps their, their trash from blowing in the neighbor's yard. Got that. A good person uh, goes to church. Every other year on Easter or Christmas, you pick. I did that. Okay. Uh, A good person, you know, doesn't spit on their neighbor's lawn. Yeah, I got that. A good person would tell their neighbor when they had a flat tire. Okay. And they've got this list, and they think, I'm doing pretty good with my list. And my list is, uh, you know, the best list that there is. And so they're looking for ways to see if they measure up. The question is, what list are you keeping? Your own or what you think the Bible says, that's hilarious. Much of this stuff, when I hear it, they made it up. And I've had people, I had somebody stand right out here in the front yard one time by the sign, they stopped to say hi to me, and uh, they quoted a Bible verse. And I said, would you be interested to know that that's not in the Bible? (laughs) He said, sure it is. God helps them that help themselves. I said, that's not in the Bible. That verse is not in the Bible. And uh, so we had a little discussion about that. And uh, they think the Bible says something, and it, it maybe does say it or it does not say it. 
But whatever their standard, they evaluate themselves and usually look pretty good to themselves. And that's what this young man was doing. He says, well, what else do I lack? I'm doing all that. So these people, uh, him and these others, they decide what is good and they stamp themselves with approval. And I've asked them, you think you're going to get into heaven? Well, I'm not sure about that. Uh, have you been doing good? Yeah, I'm really good. I'm really good. In fact, you know what, Pastor? There's a Christian. They go to your church. They live right down the street here. I'm doing better than they are. And they want to give me the name. I said, I don't need a name. The actions of other people, because I just need a mirror for myself, right? The actions of other people become their source of evaluation instead of what God says as their evaluator. They look at other people and say, well, I'm doing that good. If we get into heaven by being good, I'm going to make it. And they say, if I'm better than the neighbor, then I'm okay. And in heaven, we hear Jesus say, you're not okay. You need to become okay. Verse 20, the young man, in his evaluation of himself, decides that he has kept all these things. So he asked Jesus, uh, well, Lord, uh, what am I lacking? Lacking, the word used there, means missing out on something through one's own fault. And let's give him some credit. He wants to know, what else do I need to do? Or to experience a deficiency. Do you think Jesus really knows where that young man's at in his heart right now? Yeah. Of course he does. If he wishes to be complete, the Old Testament, I mean this word in, in the Old King James would say perfect. Well, no one can be perfect except God himself. We can trust God, God and be declared perfect, but we still have the sin nature, right? So I like the translation better. If he wishes to be complete, finish everything he needs to do to get into heaven. He says, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. He was, he was not expecting that that day. Go and take all you have, sell it, and give it to the poor. And then come and follow me. Now, this comes with a promise of treasure in heaven. So we need to understand that sometimes people are so focused on what's here and what their treasure is, they can't imagine that anything in heaven would be greater or what they really want to do is have them both. And this young man wanted them both. Treasure refers to a place of repository for safekeeping. And Jesus said, don't, don't store up treasure down here where moth and rust destroy, but store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. It's the kind of treasure that lasts forever. Wow, what an offer to this young man who's rich. Jesus says, I've got more for you than that. If you'll just look at what you have and say it's not that important. So he tells the young man, then you come and follow me. You go, you go have the sale, the farm sale or whatever it is, and you come follow me. This causes the, the young man great sorrow, but the young man heard this statement. He went away say, grieving because he owned a lot of stuff. The word implies severe emotional or mental distress. This upset the guy. So he went away from Jesus instead of following him because the wealth was more important to him than a relationship with God. With this command, Jesus exposed the two or three commands that the young man did not have control over. He violated the command, Numbers 1 and 10 of the Ten Commandments. He had a God before the God, and the God was money. He had covetousness because he wanted his wealth over that, over the, over that same wealth, which would be his third fault, idolatry. The actions of the man revealed his heart. And that's what Jesus was trying to do. 
you think you're right with God? You think you're so good? You think you've kept everything? Now, that, that may sound more smart, Alec. I'm sure Jesus didn't do that. But is that really what you think? You're not. And Jesus, knowing him, he touched the one button this young man did not want to get over. And it was his wealth. It was his idolatry. It was his covetousness. And he had a different God. The actions of the person speak volumes about what they really think. They're very loud. He had put all of his hopes into doing good and not in faith. He, he wanted his cake and he wanted to eat it too. His lack of faith was shown in the commands that he elected by, on purpose to not do anything about. The ones he chose to ignore. So he's not telling the truth when he says, I've kept all these things. No, you haven't. Jesus was not saying, okay, hear this. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Hear what I am saying, okay? Jesus was not saying good works save you. That's not the point of what he was going through here. He was saying that if you have faith, your obedience to the commands will be there. Doesn't it say somewhere in the New Testament? Doesn't Jesus say, if you love me, if you love me, you'll keep my commands? This guy said, I'm not going to keep that one. I'm not going to sell my stuff. He didn't really love God. It's likened to other things that people do in religious uh, circles, like let's go to Hebrews for a minute. Hebrews chapter 10. People are often shocked when they look at the Old Testament. It talks about atonement in the sacrifices. And then you get to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, and he makes it very clear. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It is impossible. And you can find that in Hebrews 2, 4, Isaiah 1, 11, Mark 12, 33, and Jeremiah 11, 15, and lots of other places in the Bible. Well, then why, Jesus, why God, did you have us do all these sacrifices? It's because in the activity, you show your faith. Without the faith, it's just an activity. It's just something to do. You can come to church, but if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can sing the songs, you can pray the prayers, you can sit and listen to the same messages, but if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it means nothing. You don't get credit for going to church that way. Go down to verse 8. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. See, you can do the right things and offer the right sacrifice and say the right prayers and do all the other stuff we do in religion and not have a relationship with God. And it means nothing unless you have a heart that has been changed by faith. The sacrifices only had merit and efficacy if they were given by faith. If a person's problem was another area, Jesus would have brought that up to him. I thought it was fun that Dr. Gundry made this comment about what Jesus said to the rich man. And I quote, that Jesus, that Jesus did not command all his followers to sell all their possessions gives comfort only to the kind of people to whom he would make that an issue. <laughs> Our third point is in verses 23 to 26. Salvation is impossible without the work of God on our behalf. It's impossible. In verse 23, Jesus notes how truly difficult it is. The young man is leaving. He's walking away. Jesus knows he won't be back. Teaching time. 
So he turns around to his disciples and says, let's learn something from this, okay? Here's what you need to know. Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man or a rich woman to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus notes how truly difficult it is to give up the things that you can see and hold in this life that is temporary for that which you cannot see and cannot hold at this point. All the disciples just heard and saw what happened to the man. This brings up a question about who can be saved. Because in Israel, you look at a wealthy person, you think, man, they got it made. God is favoring them. They must really know God. He's a synagogue official, for heaven's sakes. He works over there at the synagogue. This guy knows God, doesn't he? He's got wealth, right? Well, if the wealthy are considered blessed, are not considered wealth, uh, wealthy with God spiritually, well, what about the rest of us? What about those of us that are not considered wealthy? What about us? But wealth is an enemy. It, it has a tendency to make one materially nearsighted and spiritually blind. Those who have wealth tend not to think that they need Jesus because they can just pay for that problem. Jesus said it's hard, but he did not say that it couldn't happen. Look at verse 24. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, when I was growing up, uh, these last 65 years and whatever I'm at, 65-something or something like that. I think I'm 60. I'm a, I'll be 66 this year, won't I? Okay. I, I can't get on my knees after that probably. But anyway, they used to say, well, in the city wall, they had a thing called the eye of a needle. It was a short, it was a short little opening about like this that was oval or half oval. And they had to make their camels get down on their knees and learn to crawl through that. And that's a difficult thing to do. There is no such thing. And if you get, could get a camel down to get through there, then it's not impossible, is it? This is the word in Greek for a sewing needle. A sewing needle. I don't think I could, this could be, I'm glad the kids are gone. I don't think I could shred, well, not all of them, uh, shred a camel small enough and have enough years of my life left to shove that through a sewing needle. And if I do, it's not going to do any good. He's dead. It's the eye of a needle. It, it's, mean, its meaning is it's impossible. And that's what the disciples figured out. And, and again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were, were dumbstruck. Well, then, if that's the way it is, they're astonished. Who could be saved? None of us can be saved. Well, we know about a camel's size and the size of a sewing needle. And that is impossible. It can't be done, not by us. The apostles, in extreme amazement, want to know, well, Lord, then who can be saved? They might even be thinking about themselves. What about me? In verse 26, Jesus focuses them to make sure that their attention is to him, and he tells them how salvation is to happen. He reminds them all things are possible with God. Salvation is from the Lord. You ought to know that because it says in Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, salvation is of the Lord. Maybe they forgot that. Salvation is potentially hopeless for all of us, wealthy or poor. Salvation is always a miracle of God in every respect. And without him, no one can be saved. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. Thank you, Martin Luther, for putting that into words for us, because that's what the Bible says. And there is no work that we can do to purchase it ourselves. It is in Revelation without cost. 
You don't pay anything for it. You can't. You can't do anything to get your salvation. People try, and they're in hell. You put your faith in Christ, humble yourself, and believe he, he paid for your sins on the cross, you're in. We can't do anything to purchase, our, purchase it. We can't buy something that has already been bought for us. We can't work for that which is free. We can't, we can't make our own gift here. Jesus made it. The rich young ruler had a faith problem because you can only be saved by putting your faith in the finished work of, cross, of Christ on the cross. And that means all you have to do is say to God, if you're not a Christian, you just need to say to him, I, I recognize I'm a sinner today, Jesus. You can say this right there in your head if you haven't done it. I recognize I'm a sinner, Jesus. And I'm repenting of my sin. And I'm trusting that what you did on the cross for me paid for my sins. And like it says over and over in the New Testament, and in believing, you have eternal life. In believing, you have eternal life. The rich young ruler had a faith problem. You know how he showed that? He didn't love God because he wasn't willing to keep his word. If you have a heart that has been changed through faith, you want everything in the world to keep his word. He showed it by being unwilling to forsake other things like his idolatry to follow Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves always, what about you and me? If we are not willing to give Jesus ownership of all that we have, we may have the same problem he did. If we do, we should just take care of that, shouldn't we? Trust Jesus. Now, Christians can fall into the sin of being materialistic and they hold on to stuff white-fisted. That should be repented of as well. Let's look at some applications here that say that. Would you take a, a minute and turn to John 14? with me John 14 verse 21 Jesus said he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and disclose myself to him works count nothing to get salvation once you know Christ is your savior he wants you to do good works in his name now you can do that because of his saving grace. So the one who keeps his commandments is the person who loves Jesus. Um, in my Bible, I just got to turn the page to John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that one laid down his life for my friends. The rich young ruler wasn't willing to lay down his life for others by being a follower of Jesus. We are to love one another. The man today did not love his neighbor the way he loved himself. He had a heart problem, and that had to be remedied or wasn't going to make it into heaven. The last thing under our applications is this. Faith is the victory that overcomes our sin. Works don't overcome sin. Years and years ago, there was a lady that brought her two kids here. Uh, they uh, had changed churches, and they were looking to move. But while they were here, uh, I got to uh, get to know the, the girls. They were in high school. Uh, we were teaching kids how to lead people to Christ one night. And as this girl was practicing, she realized, I don't know that. I haven't done that. So while we were practicing, she did it and became a believer. And the other girl made a comment to me later. She says, you know, the church we went to, 
when you would ask me, how am I going to get into heaven? She said to me, she said, here's what I heard every time we went to church. Be good, be good, be good, be good, be good, be good. She said, so I'm trying to be good. And now she overstated a fact, I hope. But she said, we come to your church, and all you talk about is, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you need faith, you need faith, you need faith, you're going to hell. <laughs> I said, well, I hope I'm not that, uh, you know, in your face about it, but you're right. She also trusted Christ as her Savior. If you haven't done that, you need him. Or what you face is unbearable. Jesus' love will hold you and cuddle you into eternity. Let's pray. I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, for the fact that you are truly the Son of God. And as the God-man, you paid that price on the cross for all of our sins. And we just seem to have it in ourselves, maybe it's because of uh, Satan's prompting that somehow we can earn our way in, somehow we can do it on our own, or we can pay for it. And it's all such a lie. You paid the price. It is without cost. It is a free gift. And my prayer is that if there's someone here who hasn't accepted that, they would believe who you are and what you have done and put their faith and trust in that. Thank you for teaching us what the gospel of Christ really is. In your name we pray. Amen.